Welcome back to episode four of the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Julian Wiggum alongside Stephen Bailey going over this weekend's 41-6 to loss to Clemson. And um, a lot to get into this week, Stephen. Uh, offensive line issues, what's up with DeVito, uh, what can we expect from this football team going down the line. And uh, I think I've got a pretty good... Uh, Recipe for how to beat Syracuse in 2019. I hate saying it like that, but uh, I think if and if I know this, that means everyone else knows this, and more importantly, Syracuse knows this. So putting this on Coach Babers and his football team to kind of understand what they need to do and adjust, I think that's going to be a big key for them coming up these next few few weeks. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm excited to hear what you got, and I mean, I think anyone who watched the game last night understands the issue is the offense here we did see a defense give a spirited performance after losing to maryland 63 20 last week chris frederick trill williams interceptions the front showed some fight definitely still some issues on rpos um and and at the end of the game it obviously got away but i think the bulk of today's show is going to be dedicated to the offense and just how can syracuse figure out how to run the ball and and how to keep pressure off Tommy DeVito with with two first year starters and a graduate transfer in Ryan Alexander. So so let's kind of dive in. You know, I know you you look back at the at some of Art Bryles' success with this system. What did you find in regard to offensive line play and how does that kind of relate to what we're looking at? So the key is there's no push up front. And it starts with no pass protection, you know, the young tackles on the outside, and then the most valuable part of the offensive line the guards, and the center. There's a lot of people I see on Twitter or wherever else and walking on the street sometimes. Julian, why are we only running up the middle of the field? Why don't we go outside? Why does it seem like we're running the same rushing attack every single game? Well, the key is that's how the offense is built. That's how it's designed, to spread you out, throw the ball on the outside, and then run up the middle. That's naturally what you're expecting out of an air raid, spread offense type of look. The problem is pressure on the outside is ruining the passing attack. And then on the inside, the the interior run dies because there's no no guard-center combo that's helping out this offense. And and that's the problem up front. You've got guys coming on the outside, forcing DeVito to step right, step up, step to his left. And then all of a sudden, we try to go to the ground game. Teams are just filling up the box and shutting that down as well. Then you seem to have... No offense. We're seeing teams, if you look back to 2016, Middle Tennessee State, right? That was a 3-3-5 defense by Coach Schaaf. And what they force you to do is identify where the blitz is coming from, and then they just lock up on the outside. They mix up zone coverages, mix in some man there, and it frustrates the quarterback because he's trying to get that ball out quickly, but he's also struggling with where the pressure's coming from. And we saw that a lot from Clemson this past week as well. Uh, They were using more of a 5-2 look. They would bring a safety down into the box, bring him from the edge, or maybe down the middle. And for a quarterback, when you're not sure where that pressure's coming from, and you've got an offensive line struggling on both the inside and outside to understand where pressure's coming from and how to block it down, that's going to frustrate your entire offense because now you can't go anywhere in the passing game. And when you're trying to follow up in the rushing attack, there's nothing there as well. If they're finding ways to lock you up on the outside, and then you can't get anything up the middle as well, with, and they're getting pressures with three-man rushes, that, that's really going to stifle your offense. So it's really starting up front and not being able to find any sort of rhythm because they're not getting a push up front. 
Yeah, we saw Maryland use an odd front last week as well. So, like you said, I think there's a bit of a recipe being put together for, you know, how to combat this this Syracuse football offense. And and I, and I will say this: when you look back to Art Bryles, you know, they they didn't run a lot of twelve. They didn't run a lot of twenty with the two backs. Syracuse is forced to bring in extra blockers to alleviate the pressure being given up by that line. You can't really spread the field out in those situations. So Dino Babers has always said they want to be multiple. He, he does take some a lot of things from Art Bryles. He's also been at at least a dozen other schools. So he, he's got a lot of principles that, that he's putting in. But when you can't when you can't block, you can't do what they what they what Art Bryles and, and those guys did at Baylor. Um, so what do you what do you think Syracuse needs to do this week? How do you go about attacking that? Is it about scheming in? designed rollouts and, and different types of things. Is, is, is there any way to accelerate this, or is it as simple as, you know, Dino says the offensive line is going to be better by week six, and, well, if it if it isn't, they're screwed. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't see the offensive line miraculously just getting better. I think you start to scheme in ways to take the offensive line out of the game plan, and exactly that, Stephen – you start to roll your quarterback out more. You're starting to use a little bit more play action. you got to find ways to get your quarterback out of the pocket, give him a clean look, and make him read half the field. And I think that makes it easier for DeVito as well. He's struggling right now. One, he's making bad decisions, partly because he's got a guy in his face, you know, after that first read, and he's trying to take off, and all of a sudden he's thinking too much. And I think that's what happened on that one interception uh, on the sideline there, just thinking too much, not seeing the guy get off the ground, and just, throwing it seemingly right to him, right? So I think you start to roll him out of the pocket a bit, give him a clean look, make it easy on him where he's just only reading half of the field, uh, looking at route one, route two, take off or throw the ball away. And I think that makes it easier on him. I think it makes it easier on the offensive line, only having a certain responsibility, only have to hold a guy up for one and a half seconds to two seconds. And then that uh, consistency from there, once you start to build momentum on your offensive front and what they can do, plus adding that play-action pass, it opens up your running game a little bit more. So the key is finding ways to get your quarterback comfortable, and usually the first option is to roll him out of that pocket. Yeah, we saw them try and do that a couple times last night. I think back to sometime in the first half, uh, they hit freshman tight end Luke Benson on a corner route, and they leaked Tristan Jackson down the middle of the field. I think they ran the same play back-to-back, and you saw them slide DeVito out. Evan Adams, the guard, pulled, and, and they moved right. And they would have had a touchdown to Tristan if, one, he didn't drop it, and two, <laughs> there weren't multiple penalties in the play. I believe a, leave, uh, I believe a formational issue on Benson. I think he was either supposed to be off the line or on the line, and then an illegal motion as well. So, you, you know, all of those things compiled last night, obviously. I think Syracuse had 65 yards of penalties. Um, DeVito's interception was obviously the big high, the big low light there. They couldn't get a push uh, from the offensive line and, and that goal line situation that Trill Williams set up. Um, I, I think this is a really pivotal time for this team because, as we've talked about, the opportunity is still there. You got Western Michigan and Holy Cross at home. You got a bye, and then you got a big four game ACC stretch starting with that North Carolina State. So this this is kind of put up or shut up time for that offensive line and for Dino Babers and Mike Lynch. Can you find a way to make it work with this personnel? Because this season is still salvageable. I know a lot of people here are not feeling great after a one and two start. Team wins ten games last year, and you know you're under five hundred um, three games into the year, but. You know, I guess from your experience, Julian, like what do you think it takes within the locker room and within that group to pull this thing together and, and, and to, to have experienced that success in the past? Do you think that makes it 
easier to figure it out now or, or does it almost make it harder because you were expecting so much? Uh, it's certainly difficult because you've got a lot of people on the outside and I'm starting to believe that there's some people on the inside as well who are saying you guys are supposed to be pretty good this year, especially with uh, the La Familia tapes and all the alumni that came back and a bunch of there was both in, on the inside and outside lots of people saying how good this team was supposed to be. And I think it's becoming a shock to them that, oh, wait, wait a second. We have to go out there and, and play, too. The plays aren't just happening themselves. Um, and I, I've never been a fat kid. I've never been on the interior offensive line, defensive lineman, linebacker type of thing and, and what kind of uh, mentality it takes to, to change and improve your mistakes and habits but I have been on the outside before and I've seen it both on my side of the ball defensively and offensively and I'll start with the defensive side first Um, I think the secondary is playing relatively well right now Uh, there was a few plays down the field that were given up just size mismatches with Cordy there but for the most part I think these guys are are playing sound football they're making plays on the ball Uh, it's just a matter of I just see tackling issues and that that's a mental thing just deciding I want to actually go out there and hit somebody and I've funny story I like to tell people I was telling you uh, before Stephen uh, one year Richie Desir he ended up being one of our better tacklers 2014-2015 um, season the king uh, of friendly fire king, football I like to call him yes <laughs> he, he ended up hitting any and everybody because one day Coach Shape was like you know what your angles aren't enough the way you're trying to tackle people isn't good enough and they put him on the offensive side of the ball for about two days he wore that green jersey, dropped just about every pass. <laughs> it was like, this is not for me. All of a sudden, they brought him back, and he could hit everybody. And it's, it's interesting how you can flip that switch with the right motivation. Uh, with me, uh, in Buffalo, I had an issue in college where take the deep ball, all of a sudden I would panic and either draw a PI or I would just give the ball up, right? In Buffalo... Coach ends up coming up. He's like, it was Coach Thurman. He's like, hey, Wiggum, we think you're a good player. We think you can actually make this team. But we saw an issue with you in college where you like to give up deep balls. We don't give up deep balls here. <laughs> so they lined me up with, I think there was like eight or nine guys at receiver that day, and they just ran fades. It was either Slater, uh, a fade or a slant ball. And they said, if you give it up, we're cutting you today. I was like, oh, oh, oh really? This is the NFL. All of a sudden, I learned how to turn my head, turn my head around, and either make a play on the ball or make a play on the receiver's hands. And there was no issues deep down the field anymore. And with the right motivation, guys can change habits quickly in football. And specifically on the outside, you can do that at the, especially on the on the defensive side. Just having that flip, flipping the switch in your mind, like, okay, I need to get this done. And playing defense is all about effort, right? On the offensive side, and this is a, a big thing that I've noticed, is there's no uh, safety valve. You know, uh, 2016, it was Ahmed Atawo. Uh, after that, who was it? Um, Steve. Steve Ishmael. Yeah, the back shoulder ball to Steve got yeah. Dungey out of a lot of trouble. That yes. And, and then after that, you know, we had uh, Jamal Custis back there. He could just throw a ball up to him. I think he won the Western Michigan game by himself, yeah. you know? Uh I'm not seeing that this year from anybody. And, you know, I thought there would be a few guys between uh, Tristan Jackson and and the the drops that are starting to happen now, which are are frustrating. Uh, Taj Harris, who I thought was going to break all these records after a spectacular freshman year. Uh, 
that's not there this season. And I think as a receiver group, especially with Coach Babers as your head coach, who has all these guys at receiver that he's put out in the NFL, I think he's going to be able to find a way to motivate some guys. And they have to find a way to flip that trick. Like, okay, I'm not going to be good because I'm in this offense. Like, I used to always joke, like, ooh, who wouldn't want to come to this offense because you're guaranteed 1,200 yards in All-America, you know? But you got to actually go out there and run some routes catching footballs, and that hasn't been happening. And I think some guys on the outside need to step up because this offense works better when there's a safety valve out there who you can chuck a ball up to and know you'll get that first down or know you get that chunk game. So on the outside, again, I don't know about those interior guys and what they go through. I don't know if they just lift weights or something. But (laughs) on the outside, Outside, I think both defensively and offensively, there's potential for guys to improve. And if they do, you can see an improvement overall in the team's play. Okay, let's let's switch gears to Devito for a minute because obviously the spotlight is on him. Um, you know, I'm I'm sitting there covering the game and I, I see tweet after tweet after tweet. What's wrong with Devito? They need to take out Devito. Devito is supposed to be good. Yada 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 yada. And it's like. I just wonder if these people are watching the same game as me. I mean, this offensive line gave up six sacks in the first half. Countless other pressures. I mean, this isn't a guy who at the start of the game is is tucking the ball and diving down. He's trying to run. He's trying to scramble. And and, and by all means, he has made mistakes. I thought the interception uh, last night was his worst ball of the year. I mean, you got to throw that away. You know, week one, he had a similar interception. The ball was tipped. Week two, Nakeem Johnson kind of quit on the play. Maybe you should get rid of it, but I see what he's looking for. I mean, last night, he saw Abdul Adams kind of coming open, took three more steps. He had to to get to the sideline. He's fading away, and he still forces that on first down in the red zone. Uh, I mean, there's there's really no putting it any other way. Dino Baber said after the game, you know, you hate to see a guy make the same mistake. It's like, you know, you put put your hand on the oven and get burned. Why do you do it again? Um, now, he did say he, he feels really confidently that Tommy's not going to do that again. But to me, that's at least partially a result of all of the pressure he's been facing. You know, he looked a little bit rattled on that play. Um, but to me, the offensive line is, is still primary issue number one. Now, how do you work around that? We've touched on some things. I, I think just watching the game live last night and talking with tight end Aaron Hackett, nailing down hot reads is, is key. Because when teams are bringing numbers, someone should be open. We saw that a, a couple times. Uh, DeVito found Mo Neal. Uh, for a couple long gains to, to get them in the red zone. Then they had that 12-man on the field call that was honestly, I think, missed by the officials. Um, we saw DeVito miss Tristan Jackson a couple times open off the line. Uh, I mean, that's a matter of identifying the blitzes and, and trying to figure it out. And easier said than done against perhaps the best team in the country. But to me, that's an area where you can see growth. And, and, and against Western Michigan and Holy Cross, hopefully you have some opportunities to identify those against lesser athletes. Um, you know, do you think we can see some growth in, the, in those next two weeks? And um, like you said, there seems to be a game plan for attacking this team. Like, how, how important is it for DeVito to figure that out before ACC play really hits? Right. So now you're starting to begin to play a bit of chess, knowing, okay, this is the game plan that they're going to force us again. They're going to uh, leave the box relatively empty, force uh, uh, mans and different coverage on the outside and see what we can do against it. And that's where you start to play chess and say, okay, well, we're going to do this. This is you start to find some schematic changes on the offensive line to help them be able to hit their blocks. It's a zone blocking scheme, right? So you're trying to figure out, okay, how they may end up moving some guys around as well. But you're starting to think on the offensive line, how can we get the block? How can we get a block here? How do we cover down this A gap? Or how do we cover down this gap so we can get this run play working? And you start to work these things against lesser opponents because 
you move faster. Obviously, things are a little bit slower against them. It's a chance to work with some different schemes, figure out what works, see what you guys are comfortable with. And then as they start to get comfortable with it, you add in some new things and build on some of the old. And that's how you start to improve as an offense or as a defense. Uh, I can think of an example back when we played uh, Villanova in 2014 Um, in camp. We were going over this against our own guys, and these guys were much faster. Obviously, the receivers are much faster. They're able to work these things. Ah, couldn't quite get it. Couldn't quite get it. All of a sudden, we go to Villanova. Obviously, it was still a close game, which we didn't want, but there were some coverages that we were able to work that ended up being really beneficial to us down the line. And because we had it against slower opponents, that we were able to work it, make some adjustments, know how it's supposed to look, and, you know, got it on tape. Oh, okay. When they coach it up afterwards, okay, we got it come back to the field, working in, this, in a walkthrough, all of a sudden in game speed, it was effective. So it just takes some time. And when you've got lesser opponents on the field with you and you can work those things, work your technique, you start to get a better habit of it. Now you got a rhythm of it. All of a sudden you can do it faster. Now it translates to a better opponent like an NC State or a Florida State. So there's some opportunities there. It's just a matter of working the rhythm and getting it right and having the right coaches in there to put the scheme in place. Yeah, I totally hear you on that, and, and and NC State's probably the next time you're going to face comparable athletes in early October. Um, then you got Florida State, but I mean, it, it's very well possible that Clemson and Maryland had maybe Florida State aside the best athletes that Syracuse will face this year. So if if you're kind of looking for a small sunny side to take from that, uh, that's one of them. Uh, another small point: I, I I was interested to see whether they mixed up the offensive line and the lineup, and obviously they didn't last night, and we talked a little bit about why that probably is, right? Aaron Service is your best lineman. You want him at center so you can run behind him and Evan Adams, and Dakota Davis is a a first-year starter at right guard, but he's supposedly known for his, his run blocking, so... The hope was to maybe generate some some push there. Obviously, that didn't happen. Abdul Adams and Mo Neal both averaged 2.4 yards per carry last night, which is almost unbelievable to be that bad. Um, not that it's on them, but to be to be that unproductive. So um, I think that basically hits on all the offensive stuff. I want to touch on one more defensive thing. We saw a lot of rotation in the secondary last night. Um, Antoine Cordy played a ton. Um, he came in for Chris Frederick pretty early. Uh, if Fatou Malfanu got a spell, he might have been dinged up at a certain point. I didn't quite get to fully follow that. I haven't rewatched. But you know, Julian, what did you think about those those cornerback substitutions and Cordy, especially as a guy who's smaller? What do you think? Like you've seen him play and what he yep. can do. What do yep. you think about putting him in against T. Higgins and, and Justin Ross? Uh, obviously, the matchup uh, favors Clemson's receiver, the bigger, taller, longer guys, and they took advantage of that with the jump balls. But it, it seemed to be a, a rotational thing. I'm not sure if there were some injuries or not. Um, and I was wondering, uh, they took Chris Frederick out, and I noticed Coach Babers was talking to him, uh, whether it was a, a completion right in front of him, like those, those quick outs that they were hitting, those uh, quick stop routes and whatnot, those little seven, eight-yard hitches um, and, and quick outs. And I, I couldn't tell if it was a, an issue with, Chris or not, if he was playing the coverage wrong, because in my experience, and I didn't get this until I got to the NFL with uh, with Buffalo, even in, with Pittsburgh, some uh, the only way to cover that down is just not to move. You don't you take one step, a read step, and you sit there, you wait for it, and you jump the route. And some guys are comfortable doing that, others aren't. In college, in my experience, it had it hadn't been coached much, and then. Talking to other corners that happened to be with me in Buffalo, uh, it wasn't coached very much with them either. So I'm not sure if there was a real issue as far as taking Chris out. 
because of his coverage. But I think he played well, got the interception. Um, on a similar th- ball. Yep, on a similar ball. Uh, I think he got away with the – or didn't they call that P.I.? I can't remember now. On another one, he kind of got away with one. Got looked. I didn't think it was – of course, I'm going to side with that. but It was, it was close. It, it, was, was, it was close. They let him play all night. I'll say right. that. There was a lot of physicality. Right, and there. I thought he was good with his physicality. So I'm not sure if it was more of a, a spell him, uh, just trying to get a rotation, get Cordy in the game. He's a six-year senior, obviously brings a lot of experience. He's played Clemson six different times. So uh, – I I, I'm thinking that it was more of a rotational thing, and uh, if there was an issue, the, it's just a matter of Chris finding a way to add to his game and elevate a bit playing off coverage and finding a way to get comfortable taking that read step and then jumping those passes because you don't want to give away those six, seven, eight-yard quick outs because teams are going to do that. If they see you off, all of us, it's a hot route. Syracuse does it all the time. Sure. It's a hot route. you got to find a way to cover that down, and usually it just takes a read step, and that's that's something that, I had to learn. It's a lot, something that a lot of corners coming out of college have to learn because off coverage isn't, uh, especially coached in the, at the college level. If it is, it's more so playing a cover three or a cover four and thinking that you have help underneath and that that linebacker is going to be there. And more often than not, they aren't. So uh, I don't think, especially as well as Chris's plate, that it was really anything about his play. And, and if it was, it's just a matter of elevating, which I'm sure he can. But it seemed like Cordy's involvement was more just a rotational thing and getting a guy with experience into the game. Yeah, and, and I will say, I mean, there's there's no there's no lack of effort from Antoine. We saw him make right. a couple nice pass breakups. Unfortunately, he did not make the tackle on, on Amari Rogers' 87-yard touchdown after DeVito's interception. By the way, that guy had – Surgery for an ACL tear five and a half months ago, and he outran the whole Syracuse defense. That was like, painful to see. It was, that's amazing, dude. That is no, amazing. it's not. <laughs> it's not. That is poor. That is poor. I have never seen so many, and this is why I can't coach, because I've seen poor angles from the same guys and the same uh, lack of effort uh, pretty regularly. And this is why, like, over the course of some years now, and I, I – this, again, that's why I can't coach because I, I would blow gas, get my head would pop. But you can't let a guy that just recovered from ACL outrun you. That that's uh, that's a minus in the football world. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm coming at it a little more objectively, but <laughs> but I understand where you're coming from. And we were talking about this earlier. It kind of reminded me of uh, the big play at Pittsburgh last year. Last year, the bubble screen coming out of the rain delay that probably went for sixty or seventy yards for a touchdown. It's that same angle, right? Yep, exact same angle. Yet for whatever reason, the play can't be made. Yeah. Well, they got a chance to work on it. Uh, you got anything else you want to touch on before we uh, sign off here? No, uh, no, I'm, I'm good. Cool. Good stuff. Well, thanks for listening. As ever, uh, as always, guys, uh, feel free to subscribe. Give us five stars. Really appreciate all your support. Uh, if anyone wants to buy advertising for the show, please contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. And we'll talk to you Thursday, preview in Western Michigan.